Welcome to Wilderness Time. I'm Stephanie Spellers, and along with my co-host Dwight Shiley, we're glad to have you. In this digital series, we explore the challenge of following Jesus and leading His church in a season of disruption, displacement, and possibility. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Wilderness Time. I am one of your hosts, Stephanie Spellers, and I'm here with my co-host, Dwight Shiley. <laughs> um, and we are so happy to be able to join you and um, to spend some time with guests and with you in a digital series exploring the challenge of following Jesus and leading his church in this season of disruption, displacement, and possibility. We're glad you're here. We hope that you will share the word about wilderness time. Um, and we want to now just invite you to join us in a word of opening prayer. Dwight. Let us pray. God of healing and reconciliation and hope in this time of widespread suffering, of lament, of displacement, we remember how you were faithful to your people in previous times, inviting them into spaces that were not always comfortable, but in which they found new freedoms and the opportunity to learn how to be more deeply your people, to receive your love and to learn to love one another and all of creation. We pray that your Holy Spirit may guide our conversation together, comfort and provoke us and um, encourage us to participate in your healing of the world in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So our topic for this session is the church scattered. And I invite you to um, just kind of ponder what that means, what it means for us to go from being people who go to church, go to the building, to people who truly are the church and are a part of networks of distributed communities living Jesus's way of love. We've invited two people that we think are pretty gifted for sharing about this. And they are Michael Beck, who is the director of remissioning for Fresh Expressions US and the co-pastor of the Wildwood United Methodist Church in Wildwood, Florida. And we've also invited Katie Nakamura Ringers, who's our staff officer for the Episcopal Church um, for church planting. And she used to be the vicar of the Abbey in Birmingham, Alabama. So thank you so much, Katie and Michael, for being with us. Um, we'll now shift our screen so that we can start to see your faces. Um, and we ask, um, Katie, if you would be willing to read us a scripture text in order to get started. I'd love to. This is a reading from the book of Numbers. So the Lord said to Moses, gather for me 70 of the elders of Israel, whom you know, whom you know to be the elders of the people and the officers over them. Bring them to the tent of meeting and have them take their place there with you. I will come down and talk with you there and I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them and they shall bear the burden of the people along with you so that you will not bear it all by yourself. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, 
and he gathered 70 elders of the people and placed them all around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied, but they did not do so again. Two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the spirit rested on them. And they were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent. And so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, son of Nun, the assistant of Moses, one of his chosen men said, my Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Thank you so much, Katie, for uh, reading that text for us as a way to jump into this conversation around what does it mean to be the scattered church? And I'm going to take off that screen share so we can um, hear from you um, both more directly. Um, you both have experience in some creative expressions of Christian community, reaching people who maybe would not be otherwise reached through a lot of traditional forms. Um, I wonder if we can just open up the conversation by inviting you to share, each of you to share a bit about your experience with that as we wrestle with just maybe the first question, what is the scattered or distributed church? Um, how has the COVID uh, pandemic introduced us or sort of forced us in some ways into being the scattered church, maybe not always with the greatest intentionality. And what have you both learned in your experience, perhaps even more intentionally about what it means to be church dispersed in the community? So um, as Canon Spellers, was saying, um, I started a, a small congregation in Birmingham, Alabama called the Abbey, and I continue to um, worship that with them most of the time if I'm not supplying elsewhere on Sunday. And when this COVID um, crisis hit, we have a number of members who had not been Episcopalian previously. And so they, they don't know what Episcopalians are supposed to do and what Episcopalians are never supposed to do at, alone in their own home, right? like celebrate the Eucharist. Um, and so there were a lot of questions about, well, could we have our own bottle of wine. We have our own bread. Can we just have communion? And I think that before this pandemic, I would have tried to give some very measured book of common prayer kind of sacramental, sacramentally correct answer to that, right? Whatever that would, whatever that would be. Um, but I think this new time is pushing that kind of um, greatest case scenario or worst case scenario or maybe maybe best case scenario. I don't know um, where we really start to imagine um, how might it actually be helpful to say to people, yes, many of these prayers and praises that we sing to God in the church building can actually be done in your own context. Um, and I'm just kind of reminded of that by the, this, this story um, from Numbers. Michael, do you want to jump in and share a little bit about um, your experience at Wildwood? Tell just a little bit about the story of what's happened there over the last number of years. It's pretty amazing. Sure. 
<clears throat> so good afternoon, everybody. It's it's so good to be with y'all. Um, so I serve a little congregation in Wildwood, Florida, uh, planted in 1881, a Methodist Episcopal South congregation. So wrong side of the slavery issue, um, for those who are familiar with Methodist history a little there. Uh, very old congregation and in uh, significant decline. So my wife and I are co-pastors there and we're going into our ninth year right now. Um, and so today our congregation is really um, what we call a blended ecology of church. So that attractional inherited congregation is still there. It's, it's thriving in some new and unexpected ways, but also we have these 13 uh, new Christian communities. We call them fresh expressions, but they're just little uh, micro community Christian churches that are overseen by uh, the ordinary heroes, the priesthood of all believers, uh, lay people, if you want to use that terminology. And what we've learned is the, the church is uh, primarily inaccessible to the mass uh, majority of people. And the only way the church will become accessible is not by doing you know, better attractional church, better coffee, better bands, but by finding ways uh, to be an incarnational uh, presence, witness, that kind of spills out into every nook and cranny of society and spirit, these wells of life that kind of are springing up from the ground all over our community. So we have 13 of these fresh expressions of one happens in a tattoo parlor. It's fully church. We have communion and uh, we pray, we study scripture. People wrestle with their, their struggles and grow through those. One in a dog park, one in a Tex-Mex restaurant. Um, a yoga track, a yoga studio, a runner's track. These are people that just have turned their hobbies and practices and interests into forms of church, primarily with people that don't go to church. And then the final thing I'll say is the, the uh, un unanticipated um, consequence of that, because the why of this is to form new Christian communities with, you know, the nuns and the duns. But the really cool thing is when people connect with Jesus in those, those communities, they make the journey back to the inherited church and they, it's, it's, uh, they're finding deeper levels of life. What I love about the, the passage that we just read is it's, it's this realization that I think I had to make as a clergy person from a shift from the professional minister who does all the ministry and others consume it to more of equipping the whole people of God to understand themselves as ministers, be, to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit that's been poured out in and on and through them and that they have a gifting and a calling and that they were ordained in the waters of their baptism and then kind of releasing them. And I love that in the text, there's this protest that they, they try to move um, right immediately um, into regulation. Like professional leader, are you going to let this happen? Rather than, and, and Moses responds with resourcing. And I think many times the church, we get stuck in a regulatory mode where we got to control this. We got to say how things are going to happen and who's going to do it. And Moses saying, no, let the spirit, I wish everybody would prophesy. Let, let's resource this. Let's, let's encourage it and just kind of see what happens. So I, I really resonate with that part. That's certainly been my own experience um, of, of one of the healthiest models for leadership. Um, I'm remembering what I learned back in the day from a group called the Interaction Institute for Social Change, and they used to teach about facilitative leadership. And they always spoke about a leader is someone who, who helps other people to discover their power, 
helps other people to discover their gifting and whatever the calling is God has placed on them. So there's a role for a leader, but it's not as regulator. Like you said, it's not as the one who says, you can do that, but you can't do that. Stop that. <laughs> um, and just imagining leaders being the ones who release, I feel like that's that's the movement that I see in scattered church, in distributed churches, you know, the releasing, releasing. And some of that is about being a leader who can allow that to happen and not be threatened. Yeah, I see with our, um, at least with our Episcopal church plants, um, that many of them are beginning to say, many of the clergy are beginning to say, I actually do a whole lot less during Zoom church than I would in an ordinary service. We're, we're distributing um, uh, leadership of who officiates the service. I've, I've even heard this from a, um, a leader who uh, has a jail or actually prison ministry. Um, and she has, they, they're able to Zoom in with um, inmates from a, a prison in California um, and have some of them officiate the church service um, because preaching over Zoom is just weird and awkward and no one can pay attention to the screen that long. Um, I'm seeing a lot more conversational style sermons um, and participation that way. So the present circumstances are really, um, I think, giving some capacity for this. Um, having, right, lay preachers who might have been um, just a little like stage shy um, if you had first asked them to do this in person. Um, are Rao really stepping up to the plate? Um, and right, it does, it does take this um, practice of trust uh, from the clergy or whoever kind of the head lay leader is in order to take the hands off um, and trust that um, and trust that your community can can live out and embody worship and faith in this way. Um, and it also, you know, requires us to um, to really think, what is my what is my role in this community? I think that's some of the resistance, right? Is um, the fear that clergy will be displaced through this process? When really, I think it's it's more of a, a transformation or a pivot of role. Michael, do you want to talk a little bit about those leaders who are running those uh, fresh expressions? How do how who are those people? How did they rise to the surface? Uh, and get discerned, you know, discerned for that kind of leadership. And how do you how do you equip them in those ministries? Yeah, so it, it's a it's a very diverse group of people. So we have everything from teenagers who are kind of ex exploring, um, getting together with kids in a library in the in the town library to eighty year old Larry, who's gone to church his whole life, um, good faithful Methodist. Uh, can sing all the hymns, knows all the creeds. Um, and the first thing he said to me was, Pastor, I'm just kind of boring. I don't do any of this stuff like you all do out in the community. So, but I take my dog Rocky to the dog park. He's got this big labradoodle like horse dog. And uh, my wife and I have two little pugs. And um, he says, you know, I just go and I connect with people and I hang out there. And so we started to talk to Larry about, so you have relationships with people in Luke 10. Uh, Jesus says, go out two by two, strategically team-based, not alone, no heroic solo leaders. Um, find the person of peace. The, 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 their peace will rest on you. Your peace will rest on them. Um, and, and so Larry is a person of peace to this dog lovers community, people that love their fur babies and they love to connect in the park. And so, you know, these things kind of emerge like Larry says, hey, 
we're going to pray next week. Anybody want to come a little bit early? We're just going to say a prayer and maybe we'll engage a couple verses of scripture. And so you just kind of slowly uh, move into spiritual uh, deepening in the community. So we just kind of have a simple little process. If anybody wants to, we have a church, kind of our inherited church team, and they're really about, you know, growing people in the life of faith and education and care and all those inherited things. Then we have what we call our pioneer team. They're more of our emerging leaders and they're feeling this call like, you know, Larry, I want to just, you know, and now Larry takes this very seriously. Okay. He's got, he's got commentaries. He's borrowing my commentaries. He's like, pastor, I want to make sure I get this right. What does this verse mean? And I'm like, Larry, just talk to people about Jesus. It's going to be okay. You're so good at it. But he's like found his calling at 80 years old to talk to people in the dog park about Christ and pray and all that. So we, we have a little bit of a process, a leadership covenant. We take people through these six steps um, that we, we took the AA uh, process, which is the greatest discipleship program in the world, uh, the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, we just kind of, which came from the scriptures, by the way, in the Oxford group. So we just kind of have these six simple things that people commit to. They're, they're uh, in an apprenticeship relationship or a learning partner relationship. And they do those six steps together of confession and growing spiritually and all those things. So we're, we're just basically giving them the tools they need to grow spiritually. And my wife and I are really checking in on those people and have, letting them kind of have full access uh, to us, whatever they're going through. Uh, and then they're, they're really leading everybody else. Michael, I was really uh, just kind of latched onto something you said a few minutes ago, which was contrasting, maybe comparing and contrasting, right? A, an attractional um, model of church with a, maybe more of a relational, small groups and dispersed um, model of church. I'm just wondering if you'd say a little bit, maybe even say a little bit more about that. Um, it's something that um, I think our church planters in the Episcopal Church are finding naturally that that people in 2020 um uh at least if they're starting a new community from scratch um want to be with a smaller more intimate um group of people who are trying to live life authentically together um and at the same time um until february this year um there's really been a lot of pressure from many mainline denominations to be more of this attractional model and and host the the programs and the um and the perfect worship um, that attract people to come be there. So what, what's some more of your experience with that line of thinking? Yeah. So, um, I think that one thing I would say is I don't, I don't think the church scattered alone, uh, is a full embodiment of the body of Christ. And I try to teach uh, our people that we need a blended ecology of church that the, the centered, um, gathered church is just as essential to the nature of the body of Christ as the scattered church. And I think that's all through the book of Acts. And particularly if you look at Acts 15, where you have the Jerusalem form of church and then the Antioch form of church, or if you look at Romans 11, kind of my go-to passage of the church is an olive tree. And Paul tells us, you know, God's grafting these Gentiles, these uh, emerging scattered kind of churches into the, the larger tree. The organism there and, and all of that is the church and that's just faithful biblical throughout the whole like god is the wandering god in the wilderness moving around the tabernacle and he's the god in the temple that draws all people into his sphere of, 
of worship on his holy hill, like his primary zip code, right? Um, so both of those things exist. And then you got Jesus who's in the synagogue and out on the mountainside and in the temple, having temple tantrums, flipping over tables and out among the people. So all of that, both and this, I think that's really important and it can be really scary. Um, so I, I'm functioning in an inherited church it's my primary, you know, center of, of um, you know, my leadership. So we, we just try to help our folks understand that this is not leaving churches, you know, it behind in the rear view. It's not we're abandoning out for this new thing. But these two things actually live together and give life to each other when they when they both are fully released. So I think your question is good about um, the the inherited church typically function in a more of a bounded set. So there's like a clear boundary. And you can confess the creed and there's this behavioral kind of covenant expectation and you're in. And these scattered forms of community really function more of an, a centered set. And so the community has to decide that center. You know, for us, it's Jesus. And people can be all over the place in their orientation and where they are with that. But they're, we're trying to moving toward the center. And there's not really that clear. So we call that um, a belonging before believing journey. So in a lot of these new Christian communities, fresh expressions, people like may not even be Christian. Some are certainly not Christian and they'll let you know that, but they're, they're spiritual, but not religious and they're gathered. So that we're all just kind of doing life together and, and there's an openness uh, in that. And you need both. I think, I think you need the bounded and the centered set kind of communities that function together. So um, there's some great questions in the chat around, uh, okay, it's wonderful if you, if, you know, the stay-at-home orders are all lifted and people can gather in these kind of third spaces. Um, but what if that's not the case and people are still mostly kind of at home? How do we think about the scattered church, the dispersed church um, of people in their neighborhoods, you know, in their villages, in their homes, in their blocks, wherever God has placed them, being the church with their neighbors in intentional ways? Let's speak to that for a minute. Oh, wow. What a great, what a great question. Um, I live on a, a small street. It's kind of a horseshoe. There's probably 30 houses in this horseshoe. And I don't know how many of my neighbors even knew I was an Episcopal priest. We've lived here for seven years until COVID, right? Um, and even then it took me about a month to realize, oh, whoa, now I can kind of share this information with people. And um, ended up inviting neighbors to, to join us for a, just a porch side Easter morning service. And of course it rained, so we didn't end up doing it. Um, but I, I think that was a, like a kind of a barrier that I have overcome. Um, and with my folks in my Abbey community have started kind of started gently reminding of, right. I, you know, I liked kind of the, the dog walking, um, story that Michael offered up where we start to realize, whoa, you know, it's not just the, this church building or, or even the four walls of my house um, that is sacred space. Um, but we can actually be the church and be the good Samaritan and be good neighbors um, with, our, with our actual neighbors, whether they're the people that live or work next to us. Um, yeah, and I think, I think that just the way that, the, that suburbs and, and commuting and all that has grown up, it really, it really just takes some reminding that these people we see before us are also our neighbors in Jesus. 
I feel that living in an apartment building here in New York City, kind of the same, you know, it's, it's not like the suburbs, it's the opposite, I guess. Um, and yet, like there are probably 10 apartments on my hall. I've lived here for about a year and a half. Um, and it was only after, you know, after the outbreak of COVID that I was home and just like baked cookies. <laughs> I did that thing. I baked up like several batches of different cookies um, and went knocking on the doors of my neighbors and like leaving cookies and then running so that we, we were still six feet apart. Um, but, um, but after a while, like other neighbors were kind of telling me too, they're like, you know, you, we could also just like hang out in the hallway and talk to each other about our lives and about just whatever, whatever matters. Um, and, and it, it reminded me, I'm like, oh yeah, like as a Christian, church happens wherever I am carrying, <laughs> um, wherever I am carrying this good news, wherever I am carrying the spirit. Um, we started out with a song, You Can't Stop the Spirit. She goes on and on. She's like a mountain rolling strong. You know, like this idea that we all carry that piece of spirit with us and that like you don't have to have the same kind of authorization that maybe we thought we did. Um, but that COVID is is opening that door and a lot of our neighbors are waiting on the other side of it. Like, where you been? Yeah, I, I will just say that I've seen also the the kind of dual trends that Katie and Stephanie are talking about. Of like one one is a return to placefulness, like knowing your place and taking walks and going, oh look, there's actually flowers that grow here or there you know, daisies or whatever, and um, actually being forced into a posture of placefulness where our, our place, understanding all these levels of um, relationships that are happening there at an ecosystem level. But then this this new thing that really, the, this digital space uh, was kind of the new thing for us. And we were kind of set up in, in a scattered way already going into this. So I think it was a little bit easier for us to pivot and our teams were, were really used to feeling like they're to do ministry. So the question wasn't, um, you know, how do we just do what we've always done, but digitally, but more like how, how are we going to now minister in this new space and form new Christian community in this space? So some of those obviously uh, are highly dependent on a third place. Like we can't go in the tattoo parlor. It's closed. Uh, we can't go to Moe's Southwest Grill. It's doing a... Uh, take out only right now so our our spaces what we call those the third space third place from ray, ray oldenburg just uh, gives the terminology first second third place so we lost those places um so we're just now really starting to understand the power of digital space as an actual third place um and starbucks just came out with this thing last week about reimagining and closing hundreds of their stores because uh, they're noticing this trend of people doing more and more mobile takeout order and like digital stuff. So where their business model was built on the third place, like you come to this place and you buy a $5 cup of coffee because you get to sit in the third place. And they're understanding that, that that's more of a, of a concept or that that community can happen digitally. So Manuel Castells did a lot of work on real virtuality and kind of explained that for emerging generations, virtual reality, there's not necessarily this separation between real and virtual, but community can happen in that virtual space. 
So we've planted three fresh expressions during this time um, in the digital space. Some are closed, some pivoted, and they, they were able to take on a digital life and they're doing better than they were actually in the physical place. And so there, it's just all across the board, but um, yeah, so now I, I think scattered church will always, it'll never go back. It'll always be, now we have to think of the scattered modes of churches, both analog and digital. And, and probably a hybrid of those as well. I just want to add if that sounds a little scary. Um, it's not just the new generations that are able to pull this off. There's a, a small rural, definitely aging congregation in Alabama that pulled off a virtual church space. They left it up for the entire um, Holy Week and people could just pop in and out. It was really beautiful. So one of the questions that's coming up for me as I'm, as I'm listening and I, I see it emerging in the chat box as well is like, so how do you know what you're doing as church? How do you know that, that whatever it is that you're creating, like, I feel like we've talked a lot about the scattered part, but what about the church part? <laughs> like, how do I, how do I know, how do I identify this and recognize the essentials of church wherever it's happening? How do you, how would you all help people to discern that around those essentials? I, I, I'll say for us that we, we feel like what we're doing is a return to a primitive form of Christianity that's scriptural. And if you look at Acts 2, they're meeting at the temple and they're meeting at their homes, both and uh, the temple is destroyed in 70 AD. So it moves fully kind of underground and only the table space is left. And so then it kind of, you know, ebbs and flows in that way in the, um, the different modes of church throughout the whole book of Acts. Um, so I, I think for us, we just try to really get back to the first principles of scripture and, and what is the kind of simplest definition of church. One of the exercises we find helpful is like, like say you throw everything in a bucket that this is church to you, right? And just throw that in there. So what is it, you know, pews, hymnals, uh, candles, liturgy, throw all that in there. And let's take everything out that you would say is a time bound, um, not not a necessity to have the church, right? And, and we do this all across the country with all different kind of groups, all different kind of ecclesiology, uh, ecclesiological traditions. And it, it always gets down to just these couple things. It's like Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Someone is keep scripture in there and someone keep uh, sacraments in there and um, someone to have coffee as the sacrament. That's, that's an essential, but so um, for us, we just go back to the uh, Nicene creed. And in that creed, there's a lot uh, said about God, the father, quite a bit about God, the son, a little bit about God, the spirit, the wild child of the Trinity there who she blows where she wants to go and does what she wants to do. Um, but then the church is just four words. Church is one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic. And so we talk about what do these missional communities look like? Is there a oneness? So Paul gives us those seven ones, one Lord, one baptism, one Bible. Is there a unity? Is there real community happening there, an inwardness? Is that holy? Are we being transformed in this interaction with a holy God? Are, are we taking on God's chesed, God's heart and character, and reflecting that? Um, there's the, uh, the the Catholic in the sense of connected across space and time. Is, is this just some little 
cult thing happening on the edge or is it tethered to and connected to the larger church and part of that fuller expression and then apostolic obviously the sync part we just kind of remix that say so is there an inward upward outward and upward dimension and that's just really simple anybody can kind of think it so are we worshiping god are we a community and and we're just trying to to strip it down to the basics and then there's lots of room to grow into the more fully um you know orbit expressions yeah i don't know oh go ahead dwight no go ahead katie yeah i I don't i was about to say i don't know if i have anything useful to add to this (laughs) if i have this figured out (laughs) but one of the one of the ways i i pose this question um to myself and among church planters is what are the instruments of communion um, for us right now. Um, but actually we could have asked this a year ago when, um, as we started to notice that house churches, um, and smaller close-knit communities are really, um, picking up steam. Um, but what makes them in communion, in my case, with the broader, um, uh, community of Episcopalians, what, what makes them in communion, right, with the, the wider church, um, what are the instruments for, for one of my friends in, um, in Texas, he has about eight house churches going at any one time, but they've got this one very tangible, visible, uh, food truck that drives around to all of them. And that's kind of their, their outward sign of, of communion. Um, but in other places it's, it's really, well, what distinguishes, what distinguishes, um, church, um, uh, we talk about, yeah, is there a component of discipleship? Um, is there a component of, of proclaiming the good news? I wonder about this too um, on Zoom when our sermon time becomes more of, a, more of a conversation and I start to ask the question, what, is this just a Bible study? Um, or is this just a griping session? <laughs> and what makes this actually, what makes this a sermon? Um, and what I've come down to is there has to be a component here of proclaiming the good news to one another. Um, and inviting each other to follow in the ways of Jesus. So there was a question in the chat box about how to make Zoom church distinct, distinctive um, from the eight hours a day most of us are already spending on Zoom. Um, I think that the music Stephanie started off this Zoom session with um, is an interesting way that, that was distinctive. And I saw some mouths singing and some bodies moving. Um, I think anything that um, asks people to get up out of their pew, right? Um, whether that's, uh, that's like, we're going to take some time during the prayers of the people, get up and walk out your front door and say a prayer for fill in the blank. Um, I've also seen um, a couple of communities mail art supplies to each of their members. So there's a community that did... Um, they would ask their, their community to do, um, to make collage right in their own time. And then they would use that zoom church time, um, to present the art pieces that they've made or a Methodist pastor, um, who halfway through the sermon said, I want everybody to get up and go get a bowl of water. I think it might've been for holy water. Um, but some movement um, and some gestures, maybe that we don't even do in typical church can really engage and capture people's attention. Um, and make it make this distinctive and holy space. Yeah, and there was a couple questions about um, you know sharing your faith and and how do you start talking about Jesus in the middle of a yoga group? 
Um, so I wanted to clarify a couple of things. One, this is not asking already exhausted clergy persons to do more. Um, actually, when we live into the scattered model, it's more about equipping and helping our people attune themselves to the presence of the spirit. And we actually do a lot less um, work in that from that professional minister model to the missionary pastor equipping the, the whole people of God. Um, and we're not doing like a bait and switch. We're going to, you know, infiltrate the yoga, yoga group and tell people, if you died today, do you know Jesus? Do you know where you'd go? Kind of stuff. We're creating communities around relationship. So it starts with that relationship. It starts with that Jesus uh, instructions in Luke 10, find the person of peace. Um, and, and just do life with them, sit at their table, eat with them. Uh, and, and we're in a spiritual but not religious culture, so people are really spiritually open. And a lot of times we find people are, are leaning into the next thing, um, that they're asking spiritual questions. And they're, so these things are not like, uh, it's called yoga church. It's called tattoo parlor church, burritos and Bibles. Um, so they're, they're centered set communities where there's, a, there's an understanding uh, where you come to it, that there's going to be something about Christianity or, or Jesus is going to happen in this. Um, and people are just seem to be a lot more open to experience something like that or experiment something like that than to make the jump all the way to like coming on a Sunday morning to a big building that they have no kind of familiarity with. So, and we're just kind of teaching our people how to, how to do that. And of course that can happen on Zoom. That can happen in physically distant but but still present spaces there are a lot of ways to do what you've just described michael and katie um one of the questions that i found the most interesting especially because i kind of live in the institution i serve as a canon to the presiding bishop and um so i saw several questions about yeah but what about the canons <laughs> uh, what about the rules you know it's it's all well and good to talk about being the church scattered um, but but we're still the church we're still the church that follows certain certain rules regulations etc and um, we may even get excited i get excited when i hear about churches that are moving toward that Acts 2 model where we really are living um, living both as the church that worships in the temple and the church that worships at home. Um, I get excited about that. And I think it's really important for us to realize this is not either or. It's not throw out the prayer book, uh, throw out the book of discipline. <laughs> it's not throw out whatever the rules might have been. It is don't allow those rules um, or a particular reading of those rules to stop you from going where the spirit is leading your community um, to go in order to be church. So that's one thing is honestly, there's a lot more room than many of us realize in those books, in those canons. So um, don't assume what you can't do. Uh, and I listen to bishops every week on a special call that they're doing now. And a lot of bishops realize we are in a different time. We are in the wilderness. And that a lot of our, our understandings about what those rules are may not, may not apply the same. So feel free to ask the questions, ask for permission, um, ask your folk to take some risks. It's a part of being in the wilderness together is growing our capacity um, for, for tolerating difference. Um, and then the other thing, and I've just got to put a plug in here is if you're wondering, well, like, how will we be an Acts 2 church or how will we 
follow what, you know, what we've just seen in numbers um, or anywhere else, the way of love, friends, you know, we have, as, at least in the Episcopal Church, a set of seven practices, and um, Dwight was a part of the group with me that really framed this, but um, that way of love is a way of recognizing what is Christian community wherever I am, and it's a community where we turn, learn, pray, worship, bless, go, and rest as community. Wherever that's happening, your church. Wherever that's happening, your church. Thank you so much to um, all of you for participating, especially to Michael and Katie for bringing your wisdom into this conversation. It's been a great blessing to, to engage with all of you. Thanks for joining our conversation. If you'd like to engage more, check out video and study options and episode descriptions at wildernesstime.org. We'll be back next week for more A Wilderness Time. God bless you on the journey.